My name's Liana Berry and you're listening to Art Muse Podcast, a podcast about the intersections between art, healing and creativity. Welcome back. This episode is an interview with photographer Kat Timms. Kat has a heart for so many things. She's an advocate for small business and women in business, inclusivity, empowered birth, and child-centred education. Kat, who specialises in family photography, shares the importance of play, the value in printing photos, which we all need to do more of, and the treasures of authenticity. I hope you enjoy the interview as we discuss Kat's photographic journey, family and creativity, and the essentiality of exploration and play in finding creativity with your loved ones. Hello, Kat. Welcome to Art Means Podcast. I'm so excited to have you today. Hi, I'm so stoked to be here. I think we've got lots to talk about. So at the start of the interview, I guess, how you describe yourself, a bit about your creative journey and how you got into being a family, a primarily family. First of all, I, I'm so stoked to be here. I've never done a podcast before, so um, I'm I'm absolutely honoured to have been asked. I uh, trained as an early childhood teacher and... I graduated in 2003 and I was doing a lot of, I did a lot of babysitting and nannying like most people who do education degrees do. And my dad really loved photography and he had this old metal Pentax camera, that, like film, of course, this is the dark ages talking about film. And it was this, it was metal and glass, like really gorgeous, sturdy, robust, that beautiful old equipment. And there's just nothing like it. I actually still have the camera. I actually have about 10 cameras. Um, I still have that camera, but unfortunately, there's just no way to repair it now. So my dad was a bit of a hobby photographer. And I, when I, when I was in my late teens, I was, I used to help my babysitting families with uh, their kids' birthday parties. They'd say, oh, can you come and, you know, dress up? And, you know, I'd, I'd read the kids a story, play some, some games with them that sort of thing but sometimes I'd take along this camera and I'd take photos for them as well because one thing I'd noticed was just that unless there's a bit of a hobby photographer in the family sometimes they just wouldn't get any photo you know not enough photos at the birthday party and you know this is before camera phones and this is before um you know even even digital really I would take photos for them and I actually discovered that I was kind of good at it. Uh, I was kind of good at taking photos of the kids. And so I then had a summer job at a studio called Sunflowers. And it was just this little photographic studio. And they just needed someone in January to like, they had it all set up. You just clicked a button. And that was sort of my first introduction formally. I worked for them for, I don't know, six months or something. That was sort of my first introduction. And what I learnt was I absolutely hated that style of in studio stand here now we do this like you actually actually had a cheat sheet I had a piece of paper that explained every pose and everything you did with each family and you just went through this cheat sheet of of poses and and things that you did in the session and the camera was on a tripod and all you did was click the button it was all set up there wasn't really any what I would consider real photography involved and so I absolutely hated that I absolutely hated it and so that really killed my love for that casual candid fun playful style of photography that I I try to have now um, I finished my degree. I did lots of teaching. I, I, you know, I took took the odd set of photos for 
you know, this person or that person. But I, I really had decided that photography wasn't for me because I'd had this terrible experience working for this studio. And then, of course, I had children, my own children. I had my first baby in 2010. And digital had arrived, of course, by then. And I was very resistant to digital. I still had a couple of different film cameras. I had, I mean, when I had my first baby, I didn't have a camera in my phone. I had a Blackberry with no camera. And I was using film to take photos still, but I had a digital, you know, like a digital point and shoot camera. And just slowly through having my own kids and through friends' kids, that's how I started doing photography again. And the main big push was two of my girlfriends had handmade businesses. One sewed clothes, like handmade clothing, and um, my friend Ali is a knitwear designer and she was knitting gorgeous little baby hats and bonnets and kids hats and things like that and we decided we need to do a little photo shoot with all of our kids with their handmade clothes and their baby bonnets and stuff on and that was my first foray back into doing something that was sort of semi-formal in photography of our kids wearing these clothes and I oh my god did I love it I flexed my creative muscles I explored light and angles and I picked a location and oh my gosh I did it and I was just buzzing when I did it and I thought oh yeah I really love this I used to do this with kids parties like all the time and I'm like oh yeah I really love this and so Really, yeah, really that's how I ended up um, doing. I'd also worked for another photographer um, who's still a photographer, so I won't name drop her. But um, I also worked for another photographer as an assistant when I had little kids. And I was like, I hilariously, I said to her, oh, I'll never get into photography again. Like I absolutely hated it, and, you know, whatever, um, because of the experience I had working for a studio. And then, yeah, it was only through being the designer of the photo shoot, being in charge of how the shoot works, what outfits are we doing? Picking the colours, direct everyone. Like my girlfriend's obviously happy for me to, um, you know, dictate sort of how this went. And I realised that I absolutely loved, yeah, being the architect of the whole thing. And that's when I sort of went, oh yeah, I could, I could probably, I could probably do this again. And I really loved it. And I, I love teaching and. I loved working with kids, but obviously teaching has a whole set of structure um, that being a photographer doesn't. And so I loved being able to work with kids in a much more fun and playful way. And I really enjoy sort of capturing those those joyful moments. And that's that's kind of what drives me. Not the sit and smile, look at the camera photo, but that really intensely personal, joyful image that when parents look back at it, they're like, oh, that's that real, proper, joyful, authentic smile that my kid had when they were three or, or whatever. And I think that's, yeah, that's what drives me. And that's kind of how I got there on a bit of a winding journey through through teaching as well. Oh, that's so interesting, actually, because like when I think of photography and why I was kind of like, oh, what photographers can I ask on the show? I'd love to, like, you know, pick the brain of a photographer as a creative I kind of just instantly drew that connection. Like photography is creative, you know, it's capturing people's stories, it's capturing their essence. It's really actually a really difficult thing to do and I really believe it takes a lot of skill to be able to 
you know, capture those like fleeting moments and in such a tangible, graspable way, like you said, where you've got that essence of that smile and that, that moment. But I kind of didn't really think like, you know, like a lot of things, that creativity can kind of get sucked out if it becomes like too rigid and placed within a really strong framework and really there's this constant tension with humans I think is that we're constantly looking for um, you know comfort and reassurance and structure but then too much of that structure and prescription actually sucks away the magic from things so you've kind of got to be able to lean into the discomfort and the you know sometimes the chaos that comes with like not knowing what's going to present itself like for you, not knowing what's necessarily the people in the shoot and how the kid's going to present and the energy that's going to be there on the day and what you've got to work with. And like you said, being playful and actually just stepping up to that because if you take it all away and you go, okay, well, we know these five poses work, you need to get the kid on the left-hand side here and the taller child and in this position and everyone needs to smile and put the hand there and make sure no one's collar is sticking up and it just it sucks that out and I didn't really think of that being a possibility that actually photography can be not creative in yeah you're right no a hundred percent it can it can be essentially not creative and I very much struggle in that sort of photo shoot and it's one of the reasons that I don't do extended family photography anymore so I focus solely on what I call intimate family photography because I don't mind grandparents coming and things like that. I'm not super rigid. But when you're talking to me about 12, 15, 20, 25 people, I get nervous. I'm not, I'm personally as a person, not great in big groups of people. I get stressed because they're looking at this candid fun style and they're like, yeah, we want that with our extended family. It is almost impossible to do well. I do do it occasionally. I in case any of my repeat clients listen to this, I do do it occasionally. I do it for my repeat clients when I know them and they know me, they know my style and they know, you know, what isn't, isn't going to fly. Um, but I, I don't take a new client who's after an extended family. I, I just say no immediately. And there's lots, there's a million photographers in Perth. I'm more than happy to support someone else. And I'll send them a couple of other names um, of women that I know who do extended family photography. But it's not what I do because it's too structured. It's too rigid. You have 20 people in the frame. Well, you can't, I mean, how much play can you have when you really need everyone's face, at least a profile of their face in the frame? There's, 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 there's not a lot of play that you can do. And I am famous for my sessions that with older children, like three plus, they're literally all play and games. It's literally why people come back to me. I have a very strong um, neurodivergent following because this style of play and candid photography is really, really good for neurodivergent kids who are going to struggle with the sitting and the looking and the, you know, put your hand here. And, yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I do think you can suck the creativity out of it and you can suck the fun out of it. And if I, in the past, I've had people approach me because the price was right regardless of my style and they've had a very structured idea of something they wanted to do and I've had to learn to say no that I I can't work really within those constraints without sounding like oh so precious and princessy but like this is what I do and this is how I do it and it's a bit like if you don't like it you need to hire someone whose work looks like the thing you want and if you have to pay more than that part of how that goes you know mm. like I think otherwise the, the creativity does get sucked out and then then I can't work at my best and that 
if there's any message I could give anyone who is booking a photo shoot for their family, it's book a photographer who you love and whose work you love and then let them do their thing. Because when you when you try to not control, because that's not the right word, because you know, I understand people are after certain things and they ask me for certain things and that's all completely fine. But when you're trying to change the way that someone works, you're not going to get the work that you've seen them post because you're changing how they do it and you're you're changing how their creativity works within anything, within anything. It can be, you know, you're hiring an artist to do a pet portrait for you. Well, if you give them all these, a list of things, that's not how they work. You need to let them do the thing that they do. Um, that's what you're hiring them for. Um, it, it goes across many different. Otherwise, you can go to a studio and you can get one of those point and shoot photo shoots like any time. <laughs> yeah so it's that dialogue isn't it like it's such a valuable conversation to have because I think there's yeah this tension bet- between when you're when you're a creative and when you're a service-based business as well yeah. because you're not just creating finishing the product sending it out your yeah. mode of creativity needs people you're working with people all the time obviously there's the editing behind the scenes but the like crux of it the core of it involves other people it's a service-based thing so you've got this kind of constant dialogue and interaction between your clients and I think yeah the power the powerful element does come from when you get to a place in the development of your creativity and your practice of actually knowing yourself like you said and being able to define like what you do well and being able to put those boundaries in when you're like I'm not a good fit but I know other people that might be a good fit for you and that takes a bit of time like I I kind of cringe at like how difficult the early years of being an art therapist were for me because it's only in the last you know I've been practicing 10 years I had a few breaks in there um but next year this year this year will be my 10th year me too can't you can't avoid it you have to walk through it you have to go through it but it's the not knowing the boundaries of yourself you're not knowing who you are and you kind of get pulled into all these situations and those situations you need to be able to define what you do but it is so empowering when you get to that kind of level of experience where you're like actually I'm doing us both a favor in knowing like you said it's always collaborative and it's not that it's you're you know, you don't want to swing too far the other way where you're really rigid no. with the way that you work and then you're like, I'm only accepting these very narrow kind mm. of width of um, criteria. But you you know enough that you can provide the best service because you're not trying to bend and fold yourself to fit mm. into expectations and that I, aren't going to... Yeah, I say to clients all the time, I'm, I'm honoured that you loved my work and you've asked me to do this extended, usually it's extended family shoot. I very occasionally get asked for, for, about weddings. Usually it's only my repeat clients that will ask me to do a wedding for them. And I'm just like, I'm, you don't want me. I'm not the right person for you. I'm honoured you asked me and I'm stoked that you think that I can do, you know, whatever it is. But I'm not the right person for you. You're not going to get my best work. I, I will not take your money and feel like I can't deliver. That's that's not what I'm going to do. And so when I explain it like that, um, they're obviously much happier to, to for me to say no, you know. As a general rule, yeah, you know, and it took me, I reckon it took me six years just on your note of, of, of how long did it take. It takes a while. I think it took me six years to fully um, realise that, extended family was something that I constantly felt overwhelmed and stressed by like big extended family um I constantly felt overwhelmed and stressed by it and it wasn't it wasn't something that I I really should be doing I it took me a long time to 
to get to that place where I felt comfortable in even saying that and even like leaning into the playful way that I work even that was even that was a journey leaning into the play there's so much beautiful photography around that's really serious and moody and it's it's joyful photography has kind of come back a little bit recently but for a while there there was a few years where serious and moody was very much the Instagram vibe and I really struggled I was like this is not how I work I I, I'm not a serious moody person in myself and I don't I don't know how to how to do that and I actually completely went off my business Instagram for maybe maybe four years the vibe was so moody and so serious in in photography that I was like I can't I just can't be in this Instagram space with this and I've only just gone back to Instagram um, business Instagram only just went back at the end of 2022 like I've only been there for a year and I'm able to own what I do and show up how I show up and I show up really authentically on my Instagram you never know what's going to be in my stories you never know um it took me a good six or seven years to fully lean into that and then end of 2022 that would have been eight years in before I could feel comfortable in showing up completely openly with with how I how I work it took ages because I don't know it just everything everything's just a journey isn't it yeah absolutely I think we see things so often in like retrospectively or you know they've been curated or a certain way and so we have all these expectations around how long things take and I think it's natural when you're excited or passionate about something you want to get to a place where you feel competent and you feel a sense of mastery but the journey is a long road um and yeah it's I think what I also just love about listening to you is like and you know other conversations we've had outside of this podcast is that you are so supportive and embracing of other people and other women and women in business and other mums and, you know, just people alongside you on that road and on that journey of life. And, you know, the world is so noisy and, like, there is so easy, I think, to look out there and be like, oh, there's so much competition. Like, I feel really overwhelmed about that. And you become, like, reclusive and resentful and frustrated and you end up pitting yourself against other people because you're like, is there going to be enough room for everyone? And I think just hearing you speak, it's like you're so expansive and so encouraging and accepting and it's yeah it's interesting because I think you're like that in your photography work as well although like we've just talked about boundaries and knowing who you work well with and how you work so that you can provide the best outcome as far as like families coming to you for photography that's one of your biggest skill sets is like not just the play but like you've already mentioned the fact that you're willing to work with people that see and experience the world a bit differently that are neurodivergent that might need things done a bit differently and you don't shy away from that like you're yeah, just a very accepting, open, loving person in your professional work, in your creative work, personally. And I just, I'd very much admire that. I have a very big neurodivergent client base now. And I think initially that started because I was a teacher. And so just obviously have just general experience with uh, neurodivergent children in particular. But it expanded um, when I realized that my own children were divergent and then more recently as a 40-year-old uh, diagnosed with ADHD myself, which has been amazing for me, no- nothing but positive. And so now I realize, obviously, this is hindsight beautiful, uh, why I've worked so well with neurodivergent children and families for such a long time. It's because I am one myself. And so that's been that's been great and I'm very passionate about accessibility, financial accessibility for to photography. I do these mini sessions which are small, short and affordable 
sessions, they're financially accessible. But I'm very passionate about accessibility within sort of that neurodivergent lens of, well, you know, my child doesn't smile. I have one child who finds it really difficult to smile like in a photo. He smiles naturally in conversation and whatever. He finds it really hard to smile in a photo. He, he, he genuinely doesn't know what to do with his face. And so I really understand that's, that's, a, very, that's a very common neurodivergent trait. And I, I really understand that. And it is, it is literally not a problem. It's not a thing. I've had many, many mums say, my kid cannot smile. And if you tell him to smile or say cheese or whatever, you get this sort of grimace, sort of weird face. Or they panic when they're older they panic because they know they're not doing it right. They've had enough people say, smile normally, smile naturally. Don't look, don't make your face like that. They've had enough of those comments that then they're panicking about how their face looks. And so I think maybe, I mean, I think I'm only realizing this right now while I'm talking to you, but I think maybe that's where some of my play, my games style sessions have even evolved from because I know that to get a more natural face, we need to give them a job. They need a thing to do that is going to be fun, whether it's a bit of a gentle tickle or it's a bit of a running game if they need to move or it's jumping off things for bouncy kids. You know, that's how we're going to get natural faces and expressions. And I think that it sort of happened organically. I'm just, yeah, I'm just kind of thinking because I think when I'm, I'm such a visual person. So when you're speaking, Kat, I am filtering in my head through all the photography I have been researching on you <laughs> the last few days and just kind of matching what you say with the images that I can see in in my mind so I encourage people to jump on your website and your social media because you have beautiful photographs and they do really capture that essence of play and those moments of life and I think that's why they're so powerful and magical is because you know that's what we want from photography isn't it we're essentially like oh there is a word for it we're capturing these like moments in time like that's it they're frozen you know and although photography is really prevalent like we've got all these digital media um, and it's so available at our fingertips collectively we haven't lost that drive to find photographs that become like our legacy and become they become part of family law. They become part of family history. Like, oh, you know, like kids will come to, I've got this famous photo shoot that I did and this amazing family that I do photos for and their son wore a full elephant costume, like with a uh, hood that had a trunk and the whole thing. And they are some of my most favourite photos That's ever. That's so good. <laughs> because first of all, how hilarious. But secondly, this was this kid at three. He loved his elephant suit. And that's what he was going to wear in his family photo shoot. And so this photo becomes part of the family law. You put it on the wall and then, you know, every time you have family round and it's Christmas or whatever, you're celebrating birthdays and they go, oh, God, remember when he wouldn't take off his elephant suit for a year, you know. I'm I'm honoured. Like, I am genuinely honoured and will be moved to tears to be part of your family history. And I have clients send me photos. I had a client just... Um, in November and I I've known her through two communities that we're um, involved in the baby growing community and the homeschool community and so I've known her for a long time um, I think her eldest is 10 same age as my youngest and we've known each other for a long time and she was telling me at our photo shoot we did in November that I took the first photos of their family and when this kid was six months old and I have just quietly no recollection which I told her I was like oh I don't remember that but um She's like, you're, you're this part of our family and part of our family history and, and it's, 
you know, your style has evolved, but we still love those original photos, though, of course, you know, 10 years on, you know, you're so much better at whatever it is that you're doing. And, like, what an honour and a privilege. Like, what an honour and a privilege to witness and capture your family story. I honestly, and I, I just, ne- I never take it lightly. I still, I still 10 years in, almost 10 years in, get struck by this, this feeling. And yeah, it is incredible to think there's a little bit of cat in <laughs> all of these households. Because life happens, doesn't it? You know, we, no one evades grief and distressing things and families change. You know, it's one of the reasons that I, you know, I mentioned before, like I tried to get into this moody, serious kind of photography because it was what was in fashion and I was like, oh, I'm doing it wrong, I'm doing it wrong. But it was it was only two years ago that I fully embraced this joy-filled style. It's what I do. And I think, obviously, like you say, we don't evade grief and we don't evade, you know, those more challenging feelings they're always there but ultimately I've decided that where and where I've leaned into is just capturing as much joy as possible because I think we can all remember the hardest points of our lives we, we all remember them because they're imprinted on us you know they create bits of trauma and, and whatever within us so we all remember those hardest points and I remember very low points with newborns and toddlers um, for myself you know as as a mother but as a mother how many how many joyful photos do I have with my own kids? Let me tell you, it's a handful because I'm the one that takes the photos. Not just because I'm a photographer. This is this is a common thread amongst mothers in general. We're the one that take the photos. We're not in them nearly as much as we should be. So I'm very passionate about creating. In fact, I have a whole blog post about joyful motherhood and how passionate I am. It's an old blog post, but it's there somewhere. About capturing mothers in a joyful moment with their children because no one else is doing that really and I'm really passionate about that because otherwise it doesn't exist it exists in your mind like you know you were joyful in moments with your kids but if no one captures a photo of it there's nothing to look back on and there's nothing to show your kids you know we all know how hard motherhood is it's a common thread you know wine o'clock and whatever I I want to I want to have joyful photos of me with my kids and I want that for other mothers and other kids who then grow up to become parents I want them to have joyful photos with their parents as well but particularly with their mums because mums are generally um, you know it's a generalization for sure but they're the ones taking photos and so you know that's something else I'm really passionate about like I say I have a whole I have at least one blog post and maybe even have two um, on that subject because it's something that I see that isn't happening and it's something that that I think is important and and we know there's challenging feelings and challenging events in the world and that makes me want to lean into joy and play even more when I can whilst holding space acknowledging and supporting you know these things that are going on in the world and for other people as well and I think it is a really important conversation I think a lot of people are quite lost in navigating that around you know what to do and how to feel and you know because we are all absorbing a lot of information and a lot of other people's distress and trying to figure out you know one part of that story is trying to figure out how we can help people that are in any community you know whether it's locally or internationally just you know in a lot of pain and distress and how to also continue living your localized life and Mm. I think joy has such a strong place in being able to add resilience as well and you know to build up that bank of treasures and that's what your photographs are they're these amazing treasures so that when time 
passes on regardless. Like it continues on like a freight train that when people look back on whether it's their own childhood or whether it's as a parent looking back on when your children were younger, you've got these beautiful treasures to keep forever and to be able to dip back into those moments of joy and to let that kind of feed your soul because and we're not here forever and you know my mum has a whole box full of family photos of her extended family but my grandparents who are no longer alive and obviously their parents and things like that and it's such an incredible gift to be able to sift through those and to look at the people and to wonder you know what their lives were like for the people that I never met but for my grandparents who I absolutely adored to be able to see smiling photos of them and just to have that connection with them and to be able to feel closer to them just by looking at photographs of them um, and feel closer to those memories like you said we you know the people that are alive hold those memories still but to be able to kind of have that external reference point it's so incredibly powerful and it can continue providing joy long after the moment of joy of joy and connection has actually happened and yeah like I think the fact that you capture families is just really powerful and really unique because it's a unique skill and I think I wanted to touch on something you said about having printed photos because that is a thing that we don't do now oh yeah we should need we're putting a flag uh, a stop sign in in this part of the so that you can make a community announcement print your photos people <laughs> if i could just have a psa for one moment i mean print some photos I, I, it doesn't matter if they're photos from your phone print print some photos and stick them in a shoebox and put them in the cupboard i'm not even kidding and then when you clean out that cupboard you get to sit there and look at some photos like I'm very passionate about it and I tell people all the time, dump your photos from your photo session into a cheap photo book from Officeworks or Kmart or whatever. It won't last that long. It'll it'll last 10, 10, 15, maybe even 20 years depending how you store it. It won't last forever. You need to get professional printing if you want it to actually last for like your grandkids to look at. But chuck them in a photo book. My kids love looking through our photo books. And look, I'm no saint. I haven't print. I, I, I haven't done photo books or whatever for ages ages years like five six seven years so don't worry I'm no angel when it comes to this subject either but my kids love looking at old photo books and my kids are 10 and 13 like they love it so really if I could just just take this moment to say print a few photos use there's apps you can do it on an app from your phone print your favorite photos from your phone they'll even just send them straight to you um I recently enabled a printing part of my like gallery part of my website where I send people their images. I have set up the stores. You can order professional prints, um, not like, you know, Snapfish, Kmart, Officeworks, Big W sort of style prints. Um, They won't last that long, but they'll last, they'll last 10 years. Like they're going to last for now, hundred percent. Anything you want to keep and like show grandkids and whatever, it's not the same as how we printed things from film, the current sort of, Um, big box store printing isn't the same so you need to get them professionally done but a professional print is like a dollar we're not talking about them we're not talking about a five original canvas you can get your regular four by six size prints and instead of being 10 cents or whatever their office works they're like a dollar each so it's not we're not talking about spending a thousand dollars on you know professional printing um, but yeah, pr- print your photos, print your photos. And I-, I don't even care if you stick them in a box. One of the things that I do for, um, uh, my maxi session clients, which is my, my biggest session is, um, there's this Polaroid style print that I get from a professional, um, local print place. And there it's 10 Polaroids and they come with a string and little pegs. So you can string up this string of Polaroid style images. Um, and I, I choose 
10 favorites from the session and I have it printed and I, and I gift it to them as part of their, part of their image delivery. Do you know how many people love that? Because they have some instant prints. They can just peg it up in the fridge, in the playroom. It's not, it's not your amazing canvas thing that's going to be on display for 20 years, but it's an amazing little tangible thing that's, that can be on display in your home that your kids can look at, particularly little kids. They love looking at photos. It's, I think it's, I think it's really important and I really do think it's something that, that we don't do, um, myself included. I'm really giving myself a reminder here to, you know, print some things from the last few years. But we have all these images. I mean, I know everybody like me has thousands and thousands and thousands. Oh, it's overwhelming to think about the number of digital photos we have now because of our phones. It's so important to print a few. And actually, I have a blog post on this as well. Um Part of my guest blog series from 2023, Melissa from DigiScrap HQ, she's a digital scrapbooker. That's what she does is she helps people create digital scrapbooks. And she wrote a blog post for us on my website about just some quick and easy things you can just do with your photos. Um, and, you know, she does courses and stuff on digital scrapbooking. So if something that's something you really want to get, it is a hobby. It's not something you do quickly, digital scrapbooking. But um, she makes these amazing digital scrapbooks. And, yeah, people can have a look at that if they're interested. But that would be something that, I mean, I would love to do. I'm, unfortunately, I don't really have the patience for like, but um, yeah, I really encourage people to print their photos. And if they want to get creative with it and sort of have a bit of a hobby with their photos, that's a great way to to do it. Yeah, absolutely. I think it, and to kind of get into a routine of it so it doesn't feel so overwhelming because there is, yeah, a, definitely a certain kind of horror that comes with the feeling of like looking at the number of photographs and realising, oh gosh, like you said, I've got, you know, a thousand photographs to try and um, sift through and Ooh. figure out where to print and how to print. And I think there's so much value in having that tangible. It's just, yeah, I, I adore photos and I have um, I have some photos on my website of the photo walls that I have here in my house. Um, and I don't change the photos on there. They're milestone, not milestone photos, but yeah, they're photos we've taken over the years. But every now and again, I add a frame. So I'll add a new frame every year or two with something new in it. And I, I love it. I, I absolutely love it. And I love looking at it and people comment on it all the time. And it's together with an art wall. So I have I have this huge wall. Um, I think it's about eight metres long. So it is massive. And half of it is framed photograph and the other half has ikea picture ledges and on those picture ledges are art so i have we have paintings we have drawings we have clay art we have felt art we have art made from pipe cleaners we have sculpture 2d 3d so you know i i display my photos and some of those photos are on the wall they're not like good photos that i've taken you know in inverted commas they're they're just one of them is just a crappy photo from my husband's um, 31st birthday. Anyway, my youngest was six weeks old. It's just a random family photo we took that night, but it was really important to me. I'd put makeup on for the first time and, you know, everyone was wearing clean clothes and it's an important photo to me <laughs> because it was a bit of an achievement to like get there with a six week old or seven week old and a, and a two year old. So, um, I display my photos with art and it's really important to me, their family history. And I, I feel the same way about all those art pieces that we have up there. They're part of our family history. And I've got Chloe's first drawing of our family um, in a little frame on, on those art ledges because, you know, and of course, uh, you know, anyone who's seen a two or three year old draw a family, it's like a head over here and some legs over here. And it's, 
a horror show, but you know, I I love it, and it's still there and part of our family history. And the the photos go alongside the art in my house, and there's a huge wall of it, and it's it's my favorite it's my favorite spot in the entire house. Yeah, it sounds so inspirational. I'd love to have eight meter wall. <laughs> oh, I know. Sorry. So good, but no, you can do it with small spaces. No, that's not. You terrible. can. You can. You can. You don't need a big space to do it. Um, you definitely don't. I'm very lucky that we have this huge wall. And the minute I walked into the house, I it was one. It was actually there was a couple of things that stole me on this house. We've been here for six years. One of them was this giant wall. It was one of the most important things. Like, oh, that's my gallery wall that I've been dying to have to put art and family art. It doesn't have any professional professional art on it just family art and photos yeah and I think most people have a wall wall of some kind and if you don't there's you know a few variations you can dip into you can have like a folio or like which basically just means a binder with plastic sleeves in it um and you know you can keep that on the coffee table and it's like a lookbook where you can put you know slot your photos in and slot your artwork family artworks in and let's just start talking a little bit about family art because I think that's another side of you obviously you do family photography but you're also very big in the creative scene and celebrating other forms of creativity and getting your kids involved in um, creativity from a young age do you want to share a little bit more I guess about your value of creativity as a family obviously just you know you can talk independently for yourself but also kind of I guess the benefits that you see when it's engaged with with multiple family members and not necessarily together obviously some people do do their art making together and I'm sure you've had various activities over the years that you've all done together whether it's approaching that at home with all of its chaos or you know going to activities together but I think just trying to creativity is for everyone and in families, sometimes there's a risk of thinking like there's one creative child or not really kind of looking at creativity in a really inclusive, broad, broad way. And I know mm. that so- I never really thought of myself as a, a particularly creative person. And I had a narrow view of creativity, which I think is quite common. And that's fine. You know, like it's not valued in our education system, particularly. And I am not skilled artistically. I absolutely love to paint and I have zero skill. I'm horrible at it and it does not anymore diminish my joy. That was a bit of a journey to get there of being able to enjoy painting while being terrible at it. And I have actually no desire to improve at it. It's not something that I need to be skilled at. It's just something I do because I really like it. I'm so interested, Kat. I hope I don't want to lose your thread of what you're saying, but every single guest I speak to has the same disclaimer that even if it's not their current experience now, when they're telling me about their historic kind of journey to creativity or journey to the profession they're in or, you know, whatever it is we're talking about, they'll often say, oh, I wasn't the best at art at school or I I wasn't skilled or, you know, and a lot of the people are actively breaking down that that narrative connection and, and, you know, like you said, no longer kind of assigned to that belief and do it anyway and find the joy anyway. But what, like, how, what are the metrics when your brain says, like, I'm not good at art, like, I'm going to start asking people this because I'm curious, you know, now I've seen the pattern and I sort of already knew it was there because, you know, even Ooh. sometimes I get tempted to do it. And to a, to a degree, you know, I'm a professional artist. I've, you know, I sell artwork. I've only just started kind of going back into that after quite a big break. But sometimes in social conversations, I will really dampen it down and get tempted to be a bit self-deprecating with it. And I'm just so I'm just curious, like it's just curiosity when when people say, oh, you know, I'm not good at painting, but I do find a lot of joy in it. I'm like, so where do the metrics come from? Like, where are these 
I mean, I think I genuinely can genuinely tell you that I have, I'm, I have no skill in painting and I have zero feelings about that. I'm sure that sometimes when people say that, they actually are quite good at it, but that's not the case. But how me. do you measure whether you're good at it? So, like, what is well, it that you... Well, I mean, my mum is an artist. Okay. My mum is an artist and we have multiple paintings hanging in our house that she's done. And I have a friend, a friend through baby wearing who lives in Adelaide who's an artist and I have multiple of her paintings um, hanging throughout my house that I've purchased from her. And I have paintings that my mum have done um, that hang in my house. And like I said, I have a lot of my kids' art in my house. I don't have any of my own stuff displayed because it's very, it's very, what I do is very abstract. I can't draw particularly well. And when I say well, I mean recognisable. Like is it, if you're drawing a dolphin, does it look like a dolphin? Does it have the shape of a dolphin? Does it have some sort of nuance that makes it interesting to look at? Like, you know, when a six-year-old draws a dolphin, it, you know, you might be able to tell it's a dolphin, but it, 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 it doesn't necessarily have anything interesting about it other than that your child drew it and so you love it because your kid drew it but it doesn't have anything interesting about it that draws the eye I mean art art has to be interesting and spark whether it's conversation or a feeling I think yeah in terms of like what are the parameters you know I think yeah you know and, and it takes it takes time to develop that and I don't have any time nor am I interested in spending any time developing any skill in terms of painting particularly watercolor is what I absolutely love to do it's just something that I do for fun and I I don't I can't paint you anything that looks like anything unless you love rainbow gradient I think it's a, it's a good conversation to have though and I think yeah. there's like multiple aspects of that that I'm interested in like one mm. is just the curiosity around like you know like those parameters of like how do we define being good or not good but Ooh. then also actually breaking down and owning the fact that you know although I don't like to use the word good and not good Ooh. Ooh. but even if you do get to like a certain standard, like actually making art is, it's got so many possibilities in so many places in the world, but it doesn't have to meet a certain standard and it doesn't have to have a certain trajectory. Like, like you said, you don't have to share it with anyone. You don't have to do it for anything. You don't even have to be interested in progressing it. Like you said, with certain skills, like you can just do it because you like doing it and you can do the same thing of rainbow gradients as much as you please, you know? Yeah. And I think like it's, yeah, it's always just about having multiple conversations because there's so many multiple realities with it. Mm. And sometimes we can, again, like we said earlier in the podcast, that like we can just look for the rules and the restrictions to make sense of it, to make meaning of it and to feel comfortable. But the uncomfortable fact is like art means different things and can do different things in the world. And I think we often try to look for the same pathway of oh I need to get good at it or you know something I need to share with other people or but yeah so I just was really fascinated I guess by the language you are using and, and what it means to... I try I try to say skilled I mean I, it's more accurate and I'm very into nuance I have no skill whatsoever but I'm great at rainbow gradients like hit me up anytime <laughs> I will. <laughs> like I have no skill in like painting a picture. Like I have beautiful artworks that my mum's done. I have a beach one, um, like a blue, beautiful oceany sort of beach painting. And then I have a painting that she's done as a photo that I took of my children at sunset on a Mother's Day. I don't know, five years ago. They're running toward the waves, the sun setting behind them, and she did a painting of this photo, and it's gorgeous. And I could never do that because I don't have any skill in that area. And my mum has spent years and years and years and years and years practicing, doing art classes, going to, you know, teach different teachers and instructors and, and learning all that. And I haven't because I'm not, 
I'm not interested. I just enjoy doing it because I enjoy doing it. I, I don't have any desire to get better at it. And I think, look, we could also say talent. Like, obviously, there are people in the world who are naturally talented artists. They just, you know, you've seen those seven-year-olds that are producing just mind-blowing works of art and they just literally can do it because their brain can do it. That's it. It's just it. I think there's talent. I think there's skill. You can acquire skills, you can develop your talent, but you can't acquire. I had a natural eye for photography as a teenager. In fact, when I was doing my ADHD diagnosis in 2023, I was looking through school reports to show my psychiatrist because when you get diagnosed with ADHD, you don't develop it. It's retroactive to childhood, so you need to show some proof of of how that works. And I found, I did photography in year eight at high school, and I found my photography report, and I actually posted it in my stories at the time. I wish I remembered what it said right now. But it said something like, you have a wonderful eye for photography. And let me tell you, I cried actual tears. I was, it was so beautiful to find that. And shout out to my year eight photography teacher. I'm going to find your name and look you up. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't remember who it was, but um, yeah, like how amazing is that? And I, I've had a natural life of photography for forever. And I think there's talent. I think there's skill. I've developed my photography and I've acquired new skills, but I don't have any natural talent for painting. I have acquired some skills to know how to make gradients and to do um I don't know what it's called like where you use water and you add the color to the water and let it develop on the paper and whatever but yeah I do I do think there's two sides to being a creative who is going to make money from their creativity I think that there's obviously I think everyone is creative and I think everyone has a thing they could be doing you may not have found your thing if you're thinking oh no no I don't I don't have a creative thing you probably do you probably just haven't found it yet but that's okay and maybe you're not interested which is also okay too but I do believe that everyone has a creative thing and I think everyone has a natural talent in something and I think you can then develop that and you can acquire skills it is yeah really interesting to have that self-reflection and Mm. reflexivity again just to kind of know yourself and to recognize what something Mm. is providing you with and then what your boundaries are and what your willingness is to either pursue the skills that you need to advance something or just to be content in like this is providing me with comfort or playfulness or whatever it is it's interesting like before I distracted you with (laughs) we're talking about like I guess that thing of trying different art classes and workshops and and the community aspect of it so I guess that sort of does tie in a little bit in like not I guess the approach of engaging with creative communities and classes and offerings and getting your kids involved in creativity or your family involved in creativity it does involve that translation of that reflexivity of recognizing you know I might gain skills from this I might enjoy it I might not I might you know it might highlight one of my talents it might not but I can make the choice to to do it or just to try it or to leave it or to pursue it you know like I'm very passionate about you don't know if you haven't tried for like 99% of things obviously there are certain things we don't need to try to know that we don't we might not like we don't like it you know what I mean there are certain things I'm not going to say 100% but in talking about art I have a 13 year old son now so there is some resistance to some forms of art but let me tell you where he is incredibly creative every single day and it's a thing that is going to trigger some people (laughs) and is widely discounted as negative his minecraft builds are mind-blowing and they are incredibly creative and they are super valuable 
And I will shout to the rooftops about screen time and having a balanced view of screen time until I die because he's incredibly creative within that. And he recently, last year, discovered that he absolutely, well, no, we knew this, but but we, we did some work in clay and pottery last year and he absolutely loved it. And, you know, if your kids haven't tried clay and pottery or you, you yourself listening haven't tried clay and pottery, maybe you'd love it. Maybe you'd love watercolour. Maybe you'd love, uh, my kids have done... Um, needle felting wool felting um they do that with milk tooth which is an art studio based in the city run by two amazing artists liz and campbell campbell is a comic book artist he runs amazing comic book workshops maybe comic books is, is your thing we we've done stitching art uh embroidery art with elise hinkley of hoop hoop hooray who's i absolutely loved some things i've done with her and i actually just recently uh, for Christmas, I completed a Christmas embroidery project that now was hanging with our Christmas stuff. It's now put away, but every year it'll come out and it'll hang up on the wall. It's an embroidery hoop Christmas project. Maybe that's your thing. My daughter does acrylic canvas painting with Tanya of Tanya's Art Corner, and she is learning all these amazing skills and techniques. She absolutely loves painting. We've done lots of different classes and courses at Fremantle Art Centre who hire all different kinds of artists, graffiti art, clay, jewellery art, like wire and beads and that kind of thing. Um, just, just so many, just so many different places. And I think, you know, you don't know it if you until you try it. I took my friend's 40th birthday, I took us both to a clay workshop and we made um we actually made like nature inspired cheese platters which sounds a bit weird but they're gorgeous we made those together as as a 40 as for her 40th birthday so you know i do think with anyone who doesn't feel like they're creative which probably isn't listening to your podcast but if they have kids they have a kid who thinks oh no they're not the creative kid or or or, or their kid themselves thinks they're not creative i mean everyone is and you can be creative, like I say, without skill and still enjoy it for the creativity and still enjoy it just for the joy it brings you or the peace or, you know, however you feel without being good in inverted commas at it. And I think that's really important. And I think there's so many ways. And I found that doing process art is really important. And so I'll get out, um, you know, we, we sort of started talking about art, art, art in family and how we do art here, given that we do quite a bit. And I'll get out a bunch of paper. And one of my favourite things to do at the moment, um, we haven't done it, we haven't done it really, we had, you know, Christmas and everything, we haven't really done it since November. But I'll get out a put big pieces of paper on the table and I'll put dots of paint on there. And then I'll just get out some rulers, just plain rulers or stiff cardboard pieces and we'll scrape them, scrape the dots to make different patterns and colours. And then before you know it, they'll be adding more dots. And because it's abstract and because it's processed and there's no end product, Everyone, that's accessible to everyone. You can do that with grandparents. You can do it with, with two-year-olds. Of course, you know, it'll get everywhere. But, you know, like you can do that with anyone. It's so accessible. And so I think, yeah, you don't know if you haven't tried something. And there are a million ways to do something that's arty and creative. And it doesn't have to have any pressure and it doesn't have to have an end product. Yeah, that's an awesome activity, actually. Like I I really love collaborative family directives but that's the paint scraping I've seen before I've I mm. didn't think about it in a family unit con context so that's really cool to just think about and, and large scale I think having the room yeah I think we're and look again I'm blessed obviously I have this eight meter wall it's where our dining table is we have a lot of room but take it outside like take it out on the grass you know like put some cardboard down if it's a bit damp 
put the paper on top of it or just do it directly on the cardboard. Like it's only going to go in the bin. It's only for fun, literally for fun. Yeah, and you can go down to the park because like you said, some yeah. people don't have the space or the room yeah. or yeah. are worried about mess and things like that. Then, yeah, you know, there are communal outdoor spaces that you can take, have a art picnic <laughs> and, yeah, go in. We, I mean... We have this little folding table. It's just Bunnings, just a little tiny little folding table, not like a big trestle. When my kids were younger, not so much recently, but when my kids were younger, we would routinely go to beautiful nature spaces. So one of the ones we'd go to is Russell Brown in Mosman Park or, or Matilda Bay or Barden Park by the river or, you know, Maylands Foreshore or just whatever. The only thing I would suggest in this is you don't want to go anywhere windy, like by the beach. But we would take this little table and I would take pencils, paper, watercolours, a water cup, an old tea towel and a few brushes. And I would just put it up on the tape, just put the table up, put all the stuff on the table and I'd just leave it. Every single kid would come by and have a play and explore. And, you know, they're out in nature, they're running around, they end up painting things they see and drawing things they see and, oh, just my heart, I just I just loved it. And we, we used to do that. Um, you know, there's lots of ways to, like, do art and there's no right way or wrong way to do it. Mm, yeah, such an important message, I think. Yeah, sometimes people just need that permission and that just constant reminding that there is no right way, wrong way to do it. It's just about being involved and being engaged. And I think too, like we, we briefly um, touched on before when we were discussing um, what we were going to talk about on the podcast, we touched on Reggio Amelia and I had mentioned to you that I'm quite passionate about it. And Reggio Amelia is an educational philosophy that's come out of Italy and it kind of started post-World War II. And basically this little town called Reggio Amelia, which still exists, you can give it a Google, they created a community school because there was no school in the area. And all the parents got together and all the parents contributed whatever their skill set was. And they created this community school and it turned into this fully fledged educational philosophy like the more famous ones, Montessori, Steiner, you know, that kind of thing. And it's now adopted by thousands of schools worldwide and they run heaps of training. And what I wanted to mention about Reggio Emilia is that what they're famous for is a man by the name of Loris Malaguzzi, which I'm sure I've said terribly, sorry, Italian. And he has written this book, which I've got the English translation of, and it's called The Thousand Languages of Children. The point he's making is that we do not all express knowledge in the same way, not verbally, not written in an exam or in a test. We can express knowledge in a variety of ways, in a thousand ways. And so one of the main points of philosophy in Reggio Emilia is about maybe they're expressing knowledge through drawing, maybe they're expressing it through painting, maybe they're expressing it through felt art, clay, maybe they're expressing it through a collection maybe they're making a collection of objects and then they're they're showing you and they're showing knowledge through a collection that's entirely a possibility and so his point is that there's a million ways to express things and to show knowledge and there's a million ways to communicate knowledge and experience and that they're all equally valid. Reggio Emilia is very passionate about valuing whatever that person is bringing to the table, whatever their, their thing is. And it really has made a huge impact on my entire life. It's, it's influenced my parenting. Obviously, it's influenced my teaching, that goes without saying. But it's influenced my parenting and it's influenced my photography because I, you know, I try to, as much as possible, you know, I try to meet people where they're at in that moment. And I have taken photos of some really difficult situations. I've been called in to take photos when there's been a diagnosis and 
treatments about to commence. Um, I've been called in to take photos um, of things that I, I don't want to trigger anybody, so I'm not going to say, but things that are that are, that are much worse things that a woman can experience. And so, you know, um, I've been asked to take photos like on the fly of things like that. And you'll never know, you'll never know from looking at the photos. And, you know, I would never, I never share these incredibly personal stories. But Reggio, the study of Reggio has influenced that in me because it's all about meeting people where they're at and meeting them where they show up and valuing whatever it is that they're presenting to you. And so that has translated even into photography work with, I guess, maybe a little adaptability and a bit of sort of empathetic understanding of where people are. And as much as we talk about joyful photography, and obviously my style is joyful and that's, that's what I do, it is tempered with some, you know, awareness of valuing where people are at, what they're bringing. And that's all, that's all inspired, a lot of that is inspired by the Reggio Amelia philosophy, which I studied and, and I taught at a Reggio school for a year. And yeah, I think, I think in terms of Art and creativity, Reggio is a really interesting thing to read about because it's so highly valued and in the early childhood years and lower primary years, it's much more valued than what our traditional education system values in terms of reading and writing. Um, art and creativity and creative expression in its many forms in the thousand languages of children um, are far more valued than the reading and writing forms that we value in, in what is you know, traditional education. So I think that, I think that's a really interesting it then it removes some of the barriers that you might feel like again like you know I can't draw so why would I do that well you know. I'm going to go and research now more about that that book sounds really fascinating and it's old now I mean I'd have to google but I feel like maybe it was published even in the 50s like I it's yeah but it's like, an, when does that start it doesn't run out of it doesn't no, expire. well, like Montessori. Montessori was developed in the 1900s, and it's still a very prevalent. Because um... we're talking about the fundamentals of, you know, people are approaching and dissecting like the fundamentals of human learning and mm. value and creativity. So yeah, I don't think that ever expires. Like we might update our language or you mm. know approach. I think that's a great place actually to start to wind up today. Mm. I will link some of the stuff that you've referenced in the show notes that people can go through there. They don't have to be writing notes or going back and listening to find most of what you said. Yeah, talking about barriers as well, I like to finish up with like a a quick three sort of questions, the same for each of my guests. One of the questions is um, a common barrier you experience to your creativity and just a quick tip on like how you try to stride past it. I would suggest through the lens of motherhood and having children and working and running a household, that time is is the barrier. And, of course, you can't talk about time without talking about priority because we all have time. We all have the same amount of time. Time is a construct. We have to talk about priorities. And then I'm going to start on like a self-care rant and a prioritise yourself rant. So I think, you know, I think that would be my answer would be priorities and time and I think my tip would be schedule it the way you schedule everything else like if you know that you I mean you know a lot of the the women that I meet um, they have schedules for certain things like for example I wash the towels on Mondays that's when I wash the towels then I remember to wash them they get washed on Mondays schedule in the you know 
Tuesday at 8 o'clock p.m. is your watercolor time or whatever it is that you want to spend time on. Um, whatever it is you want to prioritize, schedule it in, in whatever scheduling you use. I use Google Calendar, which is quite new for me. Um, I'm not great at tech. My best friend had to teach me how to use it and it's changed my life. And so I would say time is the barrier and I would say schedule it and treat it like whatever else you schedule and, you know, stick to. Awesome. Yeah, I think that's a helpful tip. And yeah, recognizing how you schedule and just as important as washing the towels. Just as important as washing the towels. And if I can plug someone else, Delphi Joy, who blogged for me on the guest blog series, I want to say it was June, but I'd have to look or May. She is very passionate about creativity and motherhood. And she's very passionate about how flexing your creative muscles helps you with joy and peace in motherhood and that's like her whole thing and awesome definitely check it out and my next question was favorite photographer moment well that's hard because i've photographed it can be just like related home births (gasps) yeah well and hospital births yeah Yeah. so that's tricky obviously every single birth that i've ever captured because how could anything be better than that taking that out of the equation because that's obviously too easy that can be your answer cat that's it could be my answer. And interesting. Say, yeah, birth obviously is, you know, it's you can't, there's nothing that compares. So I will say just in terms of more general terms, it's that joyful moment when parents, particularly mothers, I know I've spoken a bit about women and mothers. I'm, quite, I'm just quite passionate about it. It's, it's that joyful moment with children where everyone's laughing. Everyone has eight chins. No one's on their good side that they're trying to show to the camera. Hairs flying, arms are everywhere, collars and shirts are askew because we're just laughing and having a great time, and and no one's posing, and that that's that's that moment for me every time. It's my mm, favorite. Such a rich moment. Yeah. And my last question to finish us off is: What is a creative dream or wish of yours at the moment? Can be anything. <gasps> oh. Do you know what I said this last year? Um, to a few friends I would really like to make the time and prioritize the money to do a pottery wheel course for myself I have done it in the past before children I haven't done it since I had I would really love to do that that would be awesome well I hope 2024 has that in store for you hopefully yeah that would be good that would be so good okay thank you so much for coming on today it's been a pleasure thank you so much for listening if you want to find more about Kat you can jump onto her website cattimsphotography.com.au she's got an active blog and a wonderful gallery of her photos you can also find her on instagram at cattimsphotog as well as facebook and whilst i have you if you've been wanting to support the podcast and enjoying it you can always buy us a ko-fi our our link for ko-fi donations is in the show notes and for those of you that are really keen to and inspired to get art making with your family and your loved ones after listening to today's episode and the previous episode then you might love a new guide I've just released it's called 52 weeks with you and you will get a two-page spread per activity for 52 weeks so it's delivered in a pdf format it's yours to keep you can do it at your own pace and it's just got all the information you need to get creative at home it's got a list of basic art materials you need considerations how to manage conflict in the family and then just a lovely long rich juicy list of 
art activities to do and each one has materials, method, considerations and adaptions for all the different types of family. I have poured my heart into this resource and I really hope that it can be enjoyed by lots of families all around the world. So you can jump onto my website to download that one. If you need some financial reprieve, there is a discount code permanently on the product called and you can just type that one in the shop and you'll get 40% off and you can still enjoy it. Let me know if you purchase it and send me a photo of your family art creations. I would love to see. Mm-hmm.